let me start by saying that I am old, and yet I haven't fully learned the truth that we're going to talk about in this morning, and that is, I think, still at 33 years old, that my parents exist to support me, but I really forget, honestly, that I also exist to be a blessing and a help to my parents. Now, my parents would both probably tell you that I'm pretty helpful and pretty good son and all that, but in my heart of hearts, somewhere inside of me, it's the truth that it's like, well, they need to do things for me, and if I get around to doing things for them, then I will. And it's kind of like this, well, when they're old, then I'll definitely have to support them. And so now I can take my break and raise my family and do the things that I need to do. And the truth is that we all know, we all know that our parents should be a blessing and a help to us. We all know that. But we are quick to forget that we too are part of their family and we should be a blessing and an honor to them as well. You know this because you know that the actions of your parents have a great effect or a grave effect, depending on how your parents act, upon you. But do you ever stop to think that your actions might play a role in how your parents live or how your parents feel or what's going on in your parents' lives? Probably not. In the passage we'll see today, we will see that that is a mistake. That is something that doesn't align with what Scripture teaches us. Now, there's this other thing that I don't, I don't know that we ever think about this. I don't even know if we really believe this, but I, I think we're going to see it in our passage today. And, and by the way, it's a tough passage of Scripture because it's so foreign to us, especially as Americans who live today. It's just such a foreign concept to us that it's hard to wrap our minds around. But here, here's kind of this truth that we don't even think about. The way we treat our parents has a great effect on how our families will move forward. The way we treat our parents has a great effect on even the generations that come after us. We think that all effect trickles downward. That grandparents affect parents and parents affect children and then we have an effect on our children. But what we're going to see in this passage is that the way we treat those above us may just play a role in what happens in our families moving down the line. That's kind of foreign, right? As I say that, you're like, what? That doesn't uh, equate. That doesn't make sense. Why would that be? How does that look? I don't even get all that. And then there's this other thing. I know there's a lot of things here, but there's this other thing that's really important. And it's something else that we're going to see in this passage that, that we, I think, is so like out there that, uh, that we, you may not believe me. You may not even agree with this passage. If you're a Christian, you, will, you should believe this passage and you should learn from this passage. But it might be hard for you to kind of swallow this idea because it, it's not something that, thinks about, that we think about and it's kind of beyond us. And that's this. Your decisions will affect your family, and ultimately, this is what we're going to see in this, your family 
will affect society as a whole. Which means that the decisions that you make, and in this passage, primarily the decisions you make about how you treat your parents are going to, I know this is so crazy, but it's going to make a difference one way or another, good or bad, in what our societies look like. Now, that's a lot of setup, right? Like, wait, it matters how I treat my parents for what happens with my kids and how I treat my parents matters for like our whole entire society. I mean, that's, those are some big claims and, and they're not claims that I would have come up with on my own, I promise, because I'm an American that lives today. But this is what the Bible seems to be saying through this story that we are going to look at in Genesis chapter 9. The weirdest story, I think, that we'll look at in this series on family for sure. But it's a story that teaches us ultimately that the way that we treat our, treat our parents is going to affect our family. And the way that our families are affected ultimately affects the societies and the world in which we live. Now, let me give you the setup for this story. It's a simple setup and a setup that you probably know. They made a movie about it, albeit not an accurate one. God comes to a man named Noah who's righteous, says, I'm gonna send a flood on the whole world. It's gonna wipe everybody out. Build an ark, get your family on it. And so Noah builds an ark and he brings his family and then two animals, you know that, uh, two of each animal so they can repopulate the earth and they get into an ark and the rains come and the floods come and they stay on the ark for a while and then the rains go down and they get off the ark and then and then great story there's a beautiful ending and then this story takes place and it's just weird and it's out of nowhere uh, and it's going to feel like there's nothing I can learn from this but I think there's two giant things you learn and they're just going to kind of slam together in this passage of scripture and here's how the story begins the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. And notice this. From them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Now you're part of a family today, but what you might not remember, maybe you never knew this before, is that either Shem, Ham, or Japheth is your great, 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 great grandfather. And this is the truth that it teaches us right from the beginning because it says all the people on earth come from them because there's nobody left, right? There's just been a flood. There's only three guys and their wives. That's it. So all of us come from them. And we're going to see that there's problems in these guys' interaction, one of them specifically, their interaction with their family. And it's this grand reminder right from the very beginning that when we look at the problems in our family, we should not see them as abnormal. Now look, hear me right. We shouldn't see the problems in our family as good. We shouldn't see them as acceptable. We shouldn't see them as the way that they always have to be or will be. But we need to know that they're not abnormal. I think that most of us, at least at some point in our life, will go like, well, yeah, I could be a better family member if I would have been in your family or that family or if my family was more normal. And this story kind of tells us a couple of things. One, that family problems have existed since Eve ate from the fruit. And even after God wiped out most of the earth and left just a few righteous people that loved him, family problems still existed. They've never gone away and they won't ever fully go away until the return of Jesus. 
And so all of you, I know this, this is just a common to man type thing. All of you have problems in your family. It's not abnormal, even though it's not good. Don't think that you are alone in the things that you face because you aren't. Now, there's this other thing that we're going to see here, and it's hinted at right in this first verse. It says, Ham was the father of Canaan. Canaan is the son of Ham from whom the Canaanites derive their name. And if you don't know anything about the Canaanites, the Canaanites become a nation through this guy named Ham and his son Canaan, and they become one of Israel's greatest enemies. They become a nation that is known for not respecting or loving or serving or caring about what the God of the universe thinks or says. In Ezra 9, 1, it says, The people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites. Leviticus 18, 3 says, You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. We're going to see in this story that this guy's ham, this guy named Ham, his decision is really going to trickle down through the generations until there's this entire nation that is absolutely terrible. And it teaches us something that some of you already know, that you can have a family that is more difficult to overcome. I want you to know that I am aware and that God is aware that your family might be rougher, harder, full of more problems than my family or the guy next to you's family. We're doing this series on family, and it's clear from the Bible and just from our experiences, right, that we all don't start in the same place. Some of us have pretty good families, and when I preach these sermons on family and we look at these stories in Genesis, it's like, well, we can move forward a little bit. But some of you, as I talk about family are like, this is the last subject that I wanted to deal with because my family is wretched. And some of you don't think that there is any hope to overcome the family struggles that you have. And God wants you to know, I believe, that there is hope and that he doesn't deny the fact that some families are are more difficult to overcome than others. Some of you, you know this, it's a miracle that you're sitting in a church today because of who your family is, what your family has done, how your family treated you. And that's going to be true for Canaan, this son of Ham. But there's this other part that can't be excused no matter what family you come from. And the truth is this, that your individual, individual decisions will affect your family. And your family will, will affect society. That's what happens in this story, right? You'll see that this man named Ham does bad things. His son is Canaan. He becomes the Canaanites. That's a lot of generations later, right? That's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years down the line. They become this evil nation. And I'm sure that Ham in this story that we're about to read isn't thinking, wow, I better do the right thing because otherwise I'm going to mess up a whole country and it's going to cause wars and it's going to cause fighting and it's going to cause a rejection of God. But in the words of this passage, people are scattered over the whole earth from these three people. 
And I, don't, I know you don't think about this, but eventually your family is going to be scattered all over the earth unless Jesus comes back sooner than that. My family and Bryn's family both, they uh, seem big to everybody. Everybody's like, you have a big family. And we really don't come from that big of families, but our families never leave. Everybody knows that Oregon is the best. And so most people just stay here or, or they're in a different state and they, not everybody, but most of them are, uh, that are in a different state are just desperate to get back here. And, and so they understand what everybody should understand, that this is God's country, not Texas. This is God's country. <laughs> Right here, Oregon. And so we stay. But yet, despite that, I have family in Atlanta and Tulsa and Lacey and Buffalo and Austin. And we have family between the two of us, really. I mean, not literally, but all over the country. And our families don't leave. If you have a family that gets away, then you have family all over the country. And the truth is, that if you go back one, two, three, four generations, not that long ago in the history of our world, somebody's decision, decisions have affected many different cities and perhaps many different countries and the societies in those countries. That's a, a sobering, humble thought for me. And I know it's hard, again, because we're Americans and our history is like a few generations long. But the history of the world, I mean, that's an easier thing to see because you're, even if you don't have kids, the way that you treat your cousins and your, your family and your nephews and your nieces, it's going to play a role on who they become and who their kids 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 become. And, their kids become, and it's going to affect our nation and perhaps our world, depending on where your people end up. I kind of look at what ha is happening in our country today. And the question when, with all these shootings and these bombings and these bad things, and it just seems like our country's gone psychotic, does it not? Uh, I think I, I stole that from somebody said something about on Facebook, our country going psychotic. It feels that way, right? There is so much evil happening in our, in our country today. And I have to believe it's because a couple of generations ago, Satan, in the many ways that he does his thing, started to tear at individuals and beliefs and morality. And as individuals created families, then we saw the, the injury of families. We saw the degradation of families, have we not? In my generation, we're kind of famous because all of our parents started to get divorced. So we saw individuals turn away from God's morality, and then we saw families turn away from God's morality. And what's the next logical step? Based on what we've just seen is people scatter from these families. Our whole country is going bad. Now, here in America, we say that the world is going bad, but that's not true. A lot of countries in our world are getting better because they're embracing Christianity, and they're embracing as individuals the morals that come from Christianity, and then the families get better, and then after the families get better, guess what happens? Society gets better. Every nation that embraces the morality of God because individuals and then families embrace it, they always get better. But in our nation, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse because we tore at the individual. And when the individual is torn away from the things of God, the family will be destroyed. And when the family is destroyed, a nation is destroyed. And here's just a simple way for you to remember it. 
Who you are will determine what your family will be and ultimately what our country will be and what our world will be. And you think, and people say, and more and more people say, well, it's my decision. Well, it doesn't affect them. That's a lie of Satan. What you do affects all of us. So make good decisions. And here's the story, Genesis 9, 20 and 21. You're going to think that this is the real transgression in the story, but it's actually not. Noah, a man of the soya, soy, soya, soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Well, we already know this. This is an obvious one. Alcohol hurts families. I mean, that's not the point of the passage. And in fact, in this passage, the story that we're going to look at, the alcohol problem that we see here is not the real heart of the story. It's not even the real transgression in the story. But we all know that there's a truth here, that alcohol destroys families. I would venture out. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would venture out and and say that all of us in some ways knows from firsthand experience, not even secondhand experience, that alcohol can destroy a family. In my family, uh, the people who have struggled with alcohol would even tell you, yeah, my alcohol problem hurt, uh, even destroyed at times, our family. We know it's true. And here, it isn't the drunk person that's, that is kind of in the spotlight, but it's a great reminder that we must keep alcohol in check. The Old Testament is full, 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 full of warnings about the dangers of alcohol. In the New Testament, it says, do not get drunk. It says it quite clearly. Now, what's happened is, is that we had a generation of people in Christianity that said, don't touch alcohol because it's evil. And, and we look at the Bible and it's like, well, Jesus made wine. It can't be that bad. And so now the pendulum, as it will do, has swung in my generation. And we've just allowed ourselves to be free with alcohol. And I, I'm scared that the pendulum is going to have to swing back as we move forward. And I, I just want to say it this way. You can consume alcohol, but you can't let alcohol consume you. And alcohol may be consuming you. I just made a list. This isn't biblical, but, but it is partly in this story. Alcohol may be consuming you if you make dumb decisions because of alcohol. If alcohol leads you to any type of sin, you do things that you know you ought not do, that God doesn't want you to do because of alcohol. You need it to have fun or relax. That's a problem. Or not having alcohol makes you angry. And I don't know if this is a word for anybody in our church this morning, but I thought it was important to bring it up. If any of those things fit you, then alcohol is consuming you, and you're not just consuming alcohol. And I would love to have a conversation with you before it hurts your family. Now, there's this other thing right in these two verses, 20 and 21, that we all know to be true. So far, the whole story is things that we know to be true, right? I started with some big points that you're like, what is he talking about? But everything else, it's like, absolutely, that's true. I understand that I affect my family and all that. And here we see another one of those truths. Our parents can be a source of embarrassment or even worse, a word that we've used in this series, shame. You know that. 
Might just be that your parents are getting older and they say embarrassing things when you take them out to eat. That's embarrassing. It might be that your parents have never been very good at all and they are not people that you are proud of. In fact, you're embarrassed of them because they live in a different way, in a different style, with different hearts than, than you appreciate or that you respect or that you find honorable. We know that can be true. And yet, what this story is going to tell us is that we have a choice in our response to the dishonorable behavior of our parents. And here's the heart of the story in verses 22 and 23. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. What Ham does is wrapped up in a whole bunch of things, stuff. I mean, there's gossip involved, and there's slander involved, and there's other things involved. But at the heart of this story is just one thing, dishonor. Ham is not honoring to his Dad, one author called it unfilial behavior, which means improper behavior towards a parent. The story is ultimately about dishonoring his dad. That's what this story is about. One author said this, throughout the ancient world and even today in traditional societies, honoring parents is a most sacred duty. And let me just say, that we're going to see Noah's reaction to this story, and we see that the Bible is declaring this to be pretty evil, what he does, because it hints, remember now, at Canaan and the Canaanites and how bad they become. I mean, this is seen as a very evil act, but that's hard to reconcile in our modern American minds, is it not? Because we think very little about gossiping at all, let alone gossiping about our parents. We think very little about slandering people, let alone our parents. We think very little about honoring our parents and it's important. And we don't see any reason that we ought not dishonor them. Noah is gonna have this extremely strong reaction to what his son does and it seems out of place and it seems so out of place in fact that western people who write commentaries western scholars have for years and years and years felt the need to add things to this story now there's some evidence for these things but the real heart of it is is that people who read this that are scholars from the west that means like america or european countries they cannot fathom almost that what Ham does in this story is bad enough for the response and, and even for what the Bible declares that this is the father of the Canaanites. I mean, people say this and it's not in the story at all. All, all the sin was already stated. And you tell me if you heard anything about these. You can just think about it. That he has relations with his mom. That's one thing people theorize because of how strong the response is against this. That he has relations with his dad that he castrates his dad or that and this is a weird one that some type of power is transferred traditionally between his dad and him because he sees his dad naked it's hard and scholars prove this to me because there's no great evidence for any of those things but it's hard for us to go wait it's 
really that bad to dishonor my dad or my mom, even when they're being dishonorable? And all the evidence points to yes. This story is suggesting that it's that bad. And we know that primarily because the opposite of what Ham does is what did the two brothers do. The brothers march in there backwards. It says backwards twice. The narrative actually slows down in Hebrew so that we can really pay attention to how much honor they're giving their dad. Notice that they drop the cloak over backwards, it says. They don't even turn around to put the blanket over their dad. They just drop it over their shoulders and then they get out of there. And that is the antithesis of Ham. And so this story really suggests that honoring your parents is a big deal, dishonoring your parents might even be a bigger deal on the bad side. And you say, wait, really? I mean, really? That's kind of my question for the week. This whole sermon, I've had to just wrap my head around because again, I'm saying you, uh, American, modern people, but I happen to be one too. I mean, my, this whole week, this sermon has been like, Really? That's kind of, if I could sum up, you know, my studying and trying to get to the bottom of it, it was like, really, 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 that's what this passage is saying. But just, just listen to some of this other evidence. Exodus 20, 12, right there in the heart of the Ten Commandments, says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Make of it what you will, but this is the first command given that is manward directed it's the first one about our relationship with other people in the Ten Commandments, and it's honor your, your parents. It's the only commandment that comes with a promise. That makes it seem like a pretty big deal, right? Hey, don't kill anybody. Don't uh, make sure that you honor your parents because then I'll give you long life. And there's some emphasis there by God that seems weird, right? Like God must think that it's really, really, really important to honor your parents. This word for honor is a word that, translated, that translates to be heavy, be weighty, be grievous, be hard, to be rich, to be honorable, to be glorious, to be burdensome, to be honored. The Net Bible translates the word honor, honored, heavy, honors, distinguished, respected, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but the Net Bible says this. It calls for people to give their parents the respect and honor that is appropriate for them. It could be paraphrased to say, give them the weight that they deserve. Next to God, parents were to be highly valued, cared for, and respected. Now, if you're thinking like me and you're a skeptic and you're going, really? Really? Then my next thing is to say, well, it's an Old Testament command. You know, we don't really obey the Sabbath. And so do we need to pay attention to that? Uh, unless you be led astray, listen to Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, telling Christians how they ought to live their lives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Earth. This word for honor, the Greek word, translates a word that means to estimate, fix the value or the value of something belonging to oneself, to honor, to have an honor, to revere, venerate. Now, lest you say, well, okay, Paul said it, but Jesus didn't say it. He did. In fact, we have this crazy interaction with the Pharisees where Jesus seems to make a big deal out of honoring your parents. Matthew 15, 1 through 7. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, 
Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Watch the last two words. You hypocrites. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, you make an excuse not to follow this command. You say, hey, what we were going to give to our parents financially to help them out, that's Corbin, uh, meaning gift from God. So we can't give them money. We're just going to put it in our bank accounts because ultimately our plan with that money is to invest it in the church. But I'm going to disrespect and dishonor my parents being disobedient to God because eh, this is really kind of God's in my savings account. Jesus looks at these people and says, you hypocrites. How dare you act like you want to live for God while not honoring your parents. Then you might say, well, you know, Jesus said a lot of things. It's not one of the bad ones. You know, it's not up there with things like depravity or being a God hater. Romans 1, 29 and 30 says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil and Greed and depravity. Talking about people that have rejected God. They are full of, interesting, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-hater, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Murder disobeying parents this is what defines a person who doesn't live for God really and at the heart of our story really what we see is that we must make sure that our parents matter to us we must honor our parents and ultimately what this story tells us is that when we show that our parents matter God's honor is scattered. But when we don't, it's not. When we show that our parents matter, God's honor is scattered. I want to just go back to that Hebrew word and that Greek word that talk about honor because I want to give you in just a second a couple of a few uh, different ways that I think the Bible says that we honor our parents. And then one right at the end uh, that, that just kind of an idea that I saw when I, was, when I was studying for the sermon that I don't think is in the Bible, but it's a good idea anyway. And I don't want to talk about those, but, but at the heart of all of them is really this single idea of honor. And, and the idea of honor, as I said earlier, simply means to give weight to your parents to make them important and valuable. And that will come out in a different actions in different ways for each of us, I'm sure. But this is, this is how I thought of it. Uh, I, I used to go to Knott's Berry Farm. When we would go to Disneyland, we'd go to Knott's Berry Farm. This, this is not Knott's Berry Farm, but uh, it's not even from Knott's Berry Farm. But it reminds me of something that we used to do at Knott's Berry Farm. It was my favorite part of going into that amusement park. And 
it was to mine for gold. And so some of you can remember this back before Knott's Berry Farm sold out and just became a big old roller coaster park uh, and the food got worse and all those things. But uh, you used to be able to go down into this section and mine for gold. And as a kid, it was my favorite thing. You would basically scoop in a thing that looked like this that was like a... a, a yeah, it blocked the gold from going through, but let the sand from go through, uh, whatever that is. And you'd, you'd scoop the sand out of this water thing, and then you'd, you'd shake it, shake it, shake it, and then, and then all of a sudden, you would find the gold at the bottom of it. And the cool part is that you got to take the gold with you. And in fact, so I was thinking about this sermon, because this is kind of the idea, the weight, and we think of gold and the value of gold and all that. I was like, I, I think I have one of those little nuggets, that might be overstating how big it was, uh, pieces of gold. And, and so I looked in my keepsakes and, and I, I thought I found it. Uh, here it is, Knott's Berry Farm. It says, actual gold panned at the gold mine, Knott's Berry Farm, Buena Park, California. And I picked it up and the cap was off and there's no more gold. Very disappointing. I don't know where it is. It might be at the bottom of my keepsake box. I couldn't find it anywhere. There wasn't enough weight in this gold to make it important enough that I would keep it in a safe place and, and give it a place of honor or, or recognize its value. On the flip side, and you're going to have to do a little pretending with me here. On the flip side of this, if I were to have a gold bar... I couldn't bring a real gold bar. We did a quick estimate before church today. It would be about $100,000 for a gold bar this size. Uh, and so I wouldn't have brought it to church even if I had it laying around. But you can pretend with me. If I had a gold bar this size, I wouldn't have lost it. I would know exactly where it is. It would be in a place that suggested I cared about it. I would make sure that if it was in a little thing like this, a big thing like this, that the cap was sealed and couldn't go anywhere. I would cherish a gold bar this size. This little chunk of gold, no real value. That's why they gave it to you for free. This big chunk of fake gold, if it was real, would have a ton of value. And what the Bible is getting at is not strictly what you do and what you don't do. It's strictly this. Are your parents a giant bar of gold to you? Or are they some little nugget that you kind of put away in your keepsake box and say, well, I'll deal with that later. That's at the heart of this story. That's what the word honor means in the New and Old Testaments. Ham comes in. He doesn't care about his dad. He doesn't help his dad. He just goes and talks badly about his dad because he didn't care about his dad. He didn't honor his dad. He didn't value his dad. And these two brothers, they have the same dad. A dad who's being dishonorable. And because they value him, they honor him. In fact, they do their best to erase his dishonor that he has created for himself. And so the, the million-dollar question, or the $100,000 question, is simply, are you placing a great value, a great weight on your parents or not? 
And I do think there are some ways that the Bible demonstrates that we can actually act that out because it's easy. I, I am a person who gives a ton of value to my parents, I think. I, I, I'm a person, I preach a lot of sermons for me, you know, like I need to learn these things and do these things. And while I sometimes forget that my parents don't exist just for me, I, I also exist to be a blessing to them. I do a pretty good job of, of treating them like they matter. But just because I feel that way doesn't mean I always know how to make that look. And in the passage I've already talked about, there's several things that come out. One, obey them. Now, I got really hung up this week with the question, do I still need to obey my dad? That was like at the heart of a lot of study. It didn't really, I didn't want to go that way with my sermon. It was just like, really? If my dad calls me right now, do I have to go mow his lawn? You know, I mean, is that really what needs to happen? And uh, scholars seem to say, that we still need to, that, that the passages that say obey your parents are not just for children, that we seem to need to obey our kids, now, or our parents. Now listen, listen, listen. If your parents are infringing upon your ability to honor God, then you don't need to obey them. But if they're not, you should. Now me and my dad, if you're in this church, you know we have a great relationship. And so I was thinking like, what would this look like? Because if my dad said, hey, come down and mow the lawn today, I'd, I would have no problem conscience or anything saying, no, dad, I need to spend time with my wife and my daughter. Like that's priority here because that's the thing that I do for God and that's the right thing for me to do. No problem saying no to him. But, but the example that, that came to my mind is when we go to Disneyland and I'm going to be with my wife and uh, hopefully this coming year she'll take her first trip to Disneyland. I'll be with my wife and my daughter this coming summer. And my dad, I, if you go to Disneyland with him, you'll learn how much of a detailed person he is and how much of a morning person he is. And I'm, I'm becoming more of that as I get older. I'm, I'm more detailed and definitely more of a morning person. I drive my wife nuts sometimes. But... Uh, but my dad is like, hey, 6 a.m., got to go. Got to get in line right now. Got to go. Got to go. And my reaction is like, I, I don't want to. But I think that it would do no harm to my relationship with God or my relationship with my wife is if this summer when we go to Disneyland, I just say, okay, okay. It's my dad. He wants to go. It's not harming anything else. I'll just get up and go. This will be just fine. And I'll do it without complaining or bickering or saying, oh, come on, old man. You know, like, I'm just going to do it. That's, that's the illustration. And I think this is kind of at the heart of what the Bible means when it says obey. It doesn't mean that you're like everybody loves Raymond who puts your parents above your spouse or above the things that you need to do or even your job when, that God has given you or anything like that. But when it's inconsequential, one of the best ways you can honor your parent is just to say, okay, hey, could you get that box for me? Yeah, I'll get that box for you. Hey, could you come over and, and mow my lawn at an appropriate time, you know, when you have some time? Uh, one way I can honor my grandpa, and I haven't been very good about this lately. Hey, can you clean my gutter soon? I get that a lot. Sure, I can clean your gutter soon. I don't know when it will be, but I can clean your gutter soon. Now, another one is this. I, I think... And this is what Jesus gets at. At some point in life, you need to be willing to provide for your parents. This is not the current American way, but I believe it's the godly way. If you are financially able to take care of your parents, especially we know this is true as they get older, then I think the Bible wants you to do it. There's a passage in the New Testament that talks to uh, about widows, and it says that, that we should honor God by 
by taking care of the widows in our family, the older women whose spouses aren't around anymore. And I think that we need to take that seriously as your parents' age. Do what you can to help them. Don't say, well, they lived their life. They should have put their money away better. They should have done a better job of planning for this. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. Make sure that you, you do your best to help them when you can help them without being uh, dishonoring to God or to your primary responsibility of the family that God has given you if you're married and have kids. Don't talk badly about them. That's right here in this passage, right? This is an easy thing to do if you really want to. Just shut your mouth and don't say anything bad about your parents. I know you want to. I know it feels like it's going to make you feel better. I know that it's a reason for you to have as an excuse for some of the things that you've done. But it's not that hard just to keep your mouth shut and not say anything bad about your parents. And, and this one, help them. Shem and Japheth, they go in, they help their dad, the narrative slows, they show respect, they do what they can to remove his dishonor. And again, pay attention to me now, he's being dishonorable. He's drunk and he's naked, something that both things are vastly... Uh, that are, that are very bad in God's eyes in that society. I mean, you could not do either of those things and honor God. And they do their best to help him in that dishonor. Are there any times when you could walk in backwards and cover up your parents' transgressions? You know what I mean, metaphorically? Could you do anything to help your parents despite your parents? And then this last one, this is just a freebie, just a throw in. Spend time with them. I talked to a lady who is a, an attorney for a major, major retirement uh, coalition company, uh, the biggest one in the world, I believe, and she said that they are getting sued all the time, all the time, all the time for wrongful death. She said it's like a part of the industry. They get sued for wrongful death. And she said the sad reality is these people will say, I know you treated my parents bad, and they've never been to see them in seven years. That's not honoring to them. And I know all of you aren't close by. Give them a call. Teach them to Skype, you know, if they're older. I mean, just spend time with your parents. This will honor them. Now, again, this whole week, I've been just asked, really, 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 really? Is it really true that when we show that our parents matter, God's honor is scattered? Is that really true, Chad? I mean, Bible, is it true? Chad, is it true? Are you going to get on a stage and say that? And then I finally found my emotional connection that made it so much, real, so much more real to me, and that's this. I come from a family that honors the generation above them. And it has increased greatly the amount of honor that God has been brought. I mean, just to go in my direct lineage, if you talk to my family, they will tell you great, great, great things about my great, great grandfather. And when my great grandma was alive, she would tell you just how great he was. And my grandma has his paintings all over the wall. And if you talk to my grandma, she'll tell you that my mom was the greatest woman and greatest influence in her life, that she was amazing. I watched my grandma take care of my great-grandma until her dying day, sacrificing years of her life to honor her mother. And if you talk to my dad, he would tell you that the greatest spiritual influence in his life is his mom, my grandma, 
And he would, he goes over there and he trims up their stuff sometimes and he does his best to honor them. And if you talk to me, I'll tell you that my dad's the greatest man on earth. And if I could be like anybody, I'd be just like him. And I desperately hope that my daughter will say the same thing about me. My dad's done a ton of stupid stuff. You guys know some of it because I talk about it in my sermons. Oops, false stuff. (laughs) My grandma's done tons of stupid stuff. My great-grandma's done tons of stupid stuff. My great-great-grandfather did tons of stupid stuff. Not perfect, sometimes not great, sometimes not even good. But we have a family of honor, and you know what it does is the child of that It makes you want to honor God more. I can't explain it. I wish I could give you some type of logical explanation for why this works, why God's honor scatters as we make sure that that our parents know they matter, but I can't. I can just tell you that it's made me a better person. I can tell you stories about how I've seen it enacted like this story that I've always heard. My dad in the middle of a choir concert when he was in high school stopped to hug his great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. That's honor. In front of a 1,000 people, he stopped and he hugged him. He stopped the line he was in. And it's a story that's been passed down forever, even though I was uh, not born yet. I can tell you that uh, my dad and my uncle, when their biological dad got sick from strokes and started going to rest areas and started like groping women in those rest areas, even though that was not him at all. But he hadn't really been in their lives until I was around. I mean, we didn't hardly know the guy, if we're being honest with you. I watched as they went to McMinnville to be with him, something that he couldn't do for them when he was their dad and they were kids. They went to be with him. We were there the moment he died. We watched him breathe his last breath. He, he, did, he was not an honorable man in a lot of ways. But in his dying days, they honored him. And it's made me a better person that wants to glorify God. And maybe that's just it. Maybe it's that when you honor your parents and they honor their parents and they honor their parents, we learn how to honor. And so we're able to better honor God because we know what it's like to give him value and him worth. I don't know. But I do know that while I can't tell you why, it's proved true in my family and I think it needs to prove true in yours. Even when your parents are dishonorable, You need to do your best to honor them because when you show that your parents matter, God's honor is, in fact, scattered. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you for, I think, leading this sermon. It's a weird combination of points, God, but one that I think is real despite not understanding it fully. And I pray that you would take the words that I've just spoken and I pray, God, that you would allow them to fall in the right place in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, in all of our souls, God. And I pray, God, that you would take the words that I have just spoken and you would help the individuals who sit here today and those who will listen online to know, God, how to put them into practice in their own lives. Maybe, God, somebody here, their parents are dead and gone. They've never done a good job of honoring. I pray to just... Now, God, 
They would stop talking bad about them or they'd talk well of them moving forward, God. Maybe some of us just need to call our moms, Lord. Maybe some of us need to go over and trim some bushes. I don't know, Lord. But help it to fall in the right place so that, God, we may honor our parents and, and those who come after us, nieces and nephews, our children, God, our cousins who are younger than us that watch how we live our lives. Let us honor our parents and our grandparents so that, God, they may honor you. And I don't fully grasp why that truth is true, but I believe it because I've seen it, Lord. So let it be true of us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.